we get started, I was just uh, told by uh, uh, Andy that Andy and Heather Carpenter anniversary today, 12 years. So congratulations to them. And I don't know what this means, but he said it's better now than it was at the beginning. So I'm assuming that means there's progress moving forward. So I'm assuming that I'm assuming that's a good thing. Uh, Alrighty, Luke chapter 6 here. We're going to be doing verses 12 through 16 today, 12 through 16. If you weren't with us last week, we finished up chapter 5 and we did the first part of chapter 6 there. We talked about fasting and the Sabbath. So today we're just going to do verses 12 through 16, and I've really enjoyed this message. I hope it blesses you guys as well too. A lot of neat information there. So without much further ado, let's see what happens here. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 6 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And it was day he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. And Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now, big decisions here. Choosing the twelve apostles, and we're going to get to that point in a little bit. But we need to talk about prayer here for a second. Now, if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, we actually did a teaching on prayer and we talked about prayer and what it means and, if you would, how to pray. We're not going to do that today because we just covered that a few weeks ago if you want to grab that message. But there's three points here about how Jesus prayed that I find absolutely fascinating. First one is, look in verse 12. It came to pass in those days he went out to the mountain to pray. When Jesus wanted to seek God before this big decision on which 12 people to choose, he went to the mountain and prayed. He went alone and prayed. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking the congregation to pray for you. There's nothing wrong with praying with people. There's nothing wrong with corporate public prayer. That, that is important, and that is part of the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself asked his disciples to pray with him. Paul, through many of his letters, are always asking people to pray for him. But there are certain times in life when you are seeking the Lord on big decisions, it's just you and God alone in prayer. Sometimes it's just you guys. And how did Jesus do it? He went up to the mountain to do it. He got away from everything. Now, obviously, in northwest Ohio, there's not too many mountains for us to get up to to go and pray. But maybe what we would say today is, I'm going to shut my phone off and pray. I'm going to shut the TV off and pray. I'm going to go to that solitary place and just spend time with the Lord in prayer, especially before those big decisions. Now, how long did he pray? According to verse 12, he continued all night. So the second part about his prayer is he was diligent. Prayed all night. Do you, I think sometimes we don't realize, do you know how hard it is to pray? It is not easy to pray. And if you don't believe me, if you have nothing else to do today, go home, set, set an alarm for 15, 20 minutes. Just try to pray straight for 15, 20 minutes. It's difficult to do. You wouldn't think it would be, but it's mentally, spiritually, and physically exhausting. It is hard to pray. It takes a diligence to commit to prayer. And look at Jesus. He just doesn't pray. He climbs up a mountain and he prays all night. What a diligence there. I remember Dawn one time reading a story about a gal, and she was a real woman of prayer. And she told the story how she gets up every day at 4 o'clock in the morning. She prays for hours before the rest of the world gets up. And somebody went up to her one time and said, boy, that must be nice that prayer is so easy for you. And she goes, oh, it's not. She goes, my alarm goes off at 4 o'clock in the morning, and every ounce of my body wants to shut that alarm off and hit snooze. You know, when I finally get up and I go to my chair, every ounce of my body wants just to go right back into bed. It takes a diligence to be a man or woman of prayer. Jesus set the example of willing to pray all night, going up on the mountain to pray. What a man of prayer he was. Last part, did you catch in verse 13? When it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostle. Verse 13, confidence. See, after his time with God in prayer, after being diligent in prayer, he had confidence to know who God has chosen to be the apostles. That is something we lack 
today in the church is a confidence in prayer. We usually go the other way. And I'm not picking on anybody individually who say this, but I don't know how many times I've heard this. Hey, pastor, pray. Why? Why just started a new job? Pray it was the right decision. Well, we got that kind of flip-flopped. We should have prayed it was the right decision. And then once you found out it was the right decision, then you go start the job. How many times do we do that? We make a decision in life and then we spend all of our time in prayer saying, oh, I hope it was right, I hope it was right. Pray it was right. There's the confidence of knowing that the Lord led you and then when the Lord led you, you can walk in confidence in that prayer. Now, sometimes you have to walk in confidence in faith. We've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Daniel and we just talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. If you remember the story, they're getting ready to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out and say, listen, our God is able to save us. But even if he chooses not to save us, he's still God. We're not going to bow down and worship your false idol. They were walking in faith, but there was a confidence in it. And I don't know how many times in my life, in your life, I see this lack of confidence in prayer. See, when you go up and pray on the mountaintop alone, when you pray all night in diligence, you can then walk in confidence knowing that the Lord has led you and guided you and directed you, so therefore you can be confident in your prayers. That's why the Bible makes it clear in the beginning of the book of James, let us ask in faith without doubting. We go and seek the Lord in faith, saying, I trust that the Lord will give me this wisdom and guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says, With my whole heart I have sought you. That diligence of seeking God with all my heart, with all my abilities, with everything I have, and I'm going to be diligent in seeking him in prayer, and then the Lord will answer. He promises he will. Jesus is a great example of that, seeking the Lord, alone, diligent, and then walking in confidence to know that where he's led. You know, there's a lot of times out here at church, we ask people to pray about things. And we'll go up to them and we'll say, hey, we have an opportunity to serve. Maybe something going on in the back, maybe something here. Hey, would you kind of pray about and see where the Lord leads? They say, okay. So I come back to them a few weeks later, a couple weeks later, and say, hey, what the Lord laid on your heart? And I can tell by their answer how much they prayed. If I get the answer of, oh, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that some, um, yeah, you didn't pray about it. Don't lie to me. Come on, I know that. You know, the answers I'm looking for is that answer of confidence that come back and said, you know what, I've sought the Lord on this. And I like a confident answer. I know I'm not called to do it. Hey, I accept that. Or you know what, I, I sought the Lord on this, and I know that I am called to do it. I like that confidence. There's nothing wrong with ever saying no when you know that you've sought the Lord confidently and you know he's not leading you to do it. That is good answered prayer and we all need to do better at that of being people of prayer say lord i really want to know what you want and then i walk confidently in it i'm not going to make a decision then ask god just to bless it i'm not just going to half-heartedly say lord what do you think about this i'm going to be diligent in seeking him and decisions in life and trusting that he gives me the confidence to know what to do and amen to that and i tell you he definitely blesses that but what was the decision that jesus was trying to make he had to pick the 12 apostles that's a big decision these are the people that he handpicked to train up personally for three years. And then when Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven, these are the ones that he's sending out then to go start the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread around the world. Huge decision. Now, real quick, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple means that you just follow a teacher. Moses had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus had disciples. A disciple means you follow a certain teacher. An apostle is something different. The word apostle literally means one who has been sent. So what Jesus did is amongst his many disciples, the Lord laid it on his heart to pick these 12 men to become apostles, and they were then sent out with a different specific mission by God to be used by God. Hence, an apostle, one who has been sent. So they were sent out by God from amongst the disciples. Now, 
We know what they were. We know what they did. And we know these names. These are quite the characters, people. There's a pastor at a pastor's conference that I go to, and he has an ongoing joke. He always refers to the apostles as the apostles. And then he always usually makes some comment about how dysfunctional they were. And he goes, if you imagine this is what the apostles were like, imagine what the B apostles were like. These 12 people that Jesus chose here through the Spirit, these are not the cream of the crop. I'm just telling you that right now. This is an interesting, eclectic group of people. Most people believe they weren't that old. You know, some of these people lived until like 90 AD, so they lived up into 90. So most people believe that they were probably young men when Jesus chose them. And what a varied group of people. You have fishermen, you have tax collectors, you have Canaanites and zealots. You have all these different groups of people coming together to serve the Lord. And you know what the neat thing is about all these different backgrounds is? If you've ever studied out the Gospels, guess what? These 12 men, as they served the Lord for three years, they never argued or fought, did they? No. See, those that know the Bible know that's not true. They argued and fought all the time. They always were at each other. Isn't it nice to know that in 2,000 years, nothing has ever changed? Same thing still happens today. Fishermen with tax collectors, with zealots, with Canaanites, with, it's just mix. Same thing happens today. I had a guy that started coming out to church a few years ago, and he made a comment to me that really hit me. And one of the things he said, he said he liked the fellowship of getting a chance to meet people. And he says the interesting thing about church is, he goes, you get a chance to serve and hang out with people that you normally wouldn't in your little group of life that you're used to. You wouldn't. Generally speaking, you kind of hang out with people in your own group. You know, that's just kind of how it goes. When you get together as a body of Christ, oh my goodness, there's all different groups of people that come together. All different groups of people that come together. And that's the same thing that happened. You know, here in the church, you have all these different type of backgrounds. You have blue collar that serve and work right along, white collar, union, people that aren't union, Republicans, Democrats, kids, no kids, married, not married. Sing. There's all these different groups of people that come together and serve as the body of Christ. And you know what Satan loves to do? He loves to take your differences with other individuals and then have you guys argue and debate over those differences in life. So therefore, all your energy is used fighting over little things rather than spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he tries to do. And you know what? How many times in the gospels do we see these 12 men arguing amongst themselves rather than focusing on the plan of seeing souls get saved? That's exactly what the enemy tries to do, take differences and create just huge problems between people. So we fight each other rather than serve the Lord together. What was unique about these people? Let's talk about these guys for a second. First one we have here, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. Now Peter, Peter's quite the guy. Peter's the type of guy, and I think as you go through this study and you look at these 12 guys, you probably fit the description of one of these 12 people. And if not, you are sitting beside people and you are serving with one of these 12. That's the way it is. Peter. Peter's the type of guy that has no filter between head and mouth. Whatever he thinks... He just says. He doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. That's Peter. If you look at all the instances in the Bible over Peter should have just been quiet. He didn't know how to. There's a great example in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, Who do men say that I am? They give all these different answers. And Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus blesses Peter and he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God from heaven. And he goes, Upon you, my rock, I'll build this, my church. So it's a great compliment to Peter. Well, if you keep reading a little bit longer in that chapter, in just a few verses, the Bible says that Peter comes, pulls Jesus aside, and rebukes him, telling him, Don't go to the cross. That's Peter, who should have just kept his mouth quiet. Instead, he's rebuking God. In Matthew 17, when the transfiguration is happening, and then you have Jesus being glorified, you have Moses and Elijah appearing beside him, Peter's the one that should have just kept his mouth shut and enjoyed the moment. 
Instead, he has to start talking. And the, God, the Bible says that God interrupts Peter. Peter was a man of emotions. He was a natural leader, but he was a man of emotions. In John 21, when he failed Christ, Peter gave up and went back to fishing. In Mark 14, Peter was the guy that promised, everybody else will deny you, but I will never leave you, Jesus. You know, I can relate to Peter. I have a tendency to say things I shouldn't say. I have a tendency to speak when I should keep my mouth shut. I have a tendency to become emotional and give up when I shouldn't give up. And I have a tendency to promise God a lot of empty promises. I can relate to Peter a lot. This is one of the guys that the Lord chose. So when I look at Peter's life and I look at my life, I realize I am a lot like Peter. Aren't you thankful that the Lord chose a man like that that is so relatable to us? Now what about his brother Andrew? Andrew. Andrew's got a neat name. You know what Andrew's name means? Andrew's name means manly. I like that. I envision Andrew being probably 6'5", 250, good baritone voice. Actually, when we probably get to heaven, it will be 5'1", 100 pounds. I don't know, but I envision him being that way. You know what Andrew did in the Bible? He brought Peter to meet Jesus. You know one of the most manly things you can do? Bring people to meet Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The world describes manly as tough and rough and gruff. Andrew's manly, and he brings people to meet Christ. I like that. Andrew and Peter, brothers, fishermen. We're introduced now to another group of brothers, James and John. James and John are the type of people in the church that as a pastor I see them serving together and working together, and I think, oh, Lord, no. Don't let them work together. They're just going to cause problems. Anytime you see John and James serving together, they're getting themselves in trouble. They're just constantly giving themselves in trouble. There's one instance with John and James where they're spreading the gospel and one town rejects them. So what's John and James' great idea? Hey, let's call fire down from heaven and destroy the people that don't want to accept Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that evangelism one-on-one? You don't want to accept Christ? Fine, I kill you. It, 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 Jesus says you don't know what type of spirit you are. He actually gave them a nickname. Isn't this interesting? Jesus gave nicknames to people. The nickname he gave to John and James was Sons of Thunder. Is that not their personality? There's another example of John and James that get themselves in trouble. Can you turn with me, please, to Mark 10? Mark 10. We've got to talk about this for a second. Mark 10. When you see John and James together, they're causing problems. Calling fire down from heaven on people. Jesus having to rebuke them for doing that. Well, what happens here in Mark 10 is, and we have to put this all together, because we know from Matthew chapter 20 as well that, that John and James's mother is behind this. Mark 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now stop there for a second. What a setup. I know if my boys come up to me and say, Dad, yeah, we want to ask you something and promise us you'll say yes. No, that's not a good introduction. I don't know what you're going to ask. They come up to Jesus, just please do what we ask. Verse 36, he said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, then they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your other your left in your glory. Wow, those are the seats of prominence. So really what James and John are saying is when you're in heaven, we want to sit right beside you. Now we know once again from Matthew 20, their mom was behind the scenes pushing them. And you, you can imagine... Mom standing behind the scenes saying, go ask him, go ask him. She's the first stage mom 2,000 years ago. Go do it. So what happens is they come ask, and I give Jesus credit, verse 38. He doesn't get mad at them. He says, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Verse 39, they said, we are able. And he says in verses 39 and 40, he goes, you will. And verse 40 goes, but it's not my place to say who's going to sit beside me. And to give John and James credit, they do become pillars of the church, and they do suffer. For their faith. But look here real quick at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. See, we have James and John's in the church today. They don't realize it. 
They kind of rub people the wrong way sometimes, and they don't realize it, but yet when they get together, it's really causing more harm than good in some ways. But you know what? You may have some James and Johns that you know in church, and it's a frustration towards you. But I'm telling you right now, you may also be a James and John to someone else at church that you don't even know about. So who do we have so far? We have Peter who can't keep his mouth shut. We have Peter that makes empty promises. Peter that just gives up quickly. Peter that talks when he should really be quiet. We have those in the church today. We have Andrew that brings people to meet Jesus. We wish we had more Andrews. We have James and Johns, those guys that sometimes rub people the wrong way. They want to call fire down from heaven. Yeah, we got people like that in the church today too. What else do we have in the church today? Let's keep on reading about these guys. Philip and Bartholomew. Philip, Bartholomew can also be known as Nathaniel. Most people believe if you look in other different uh, Gospels accounts, Nathaniel. Philip is the one that brought Nathaniel to meet Jesus. Once again, we need more Philips that are willing to introduce people to Jesus. Now, this Nathaniel guy. Now, this Nathaniel guy is quite the guy. Nathaniel guy is the guy that is brutally, completely honest. When you read about Nathaniel in the Gospels, he says what's on his mind. Now, it's not like Peter that doesn't have a filter. It looks like Nathaniel is pretty thought out, and he's just going to be blunt with you. Now, I like Nathaniel guys, because I know exactly where they stand on things. They're not, Nathaniel guys are not the type of guys you want to call when you're not feeling good. You don't call up Nathaniel and say, listen, I'm not feeling good. Could you pray for me? Pray for you? People are dying of cancer all over the world. I'm not going to pray for your cold. i got other things to do. That's Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel serves a greater purpose in the body of Christ, but if you want grace and mercy, don't go to Nathaniel. Now, who else do we have here? On that same line, you have Thomas in verse 15. Thomas gets a bad rap. What do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas is just honest. They come to Thomas and said, we've seen the risen Lord. What's Thomas's response? Unless I stick my finger in the holes in his hand or in the side, I'm not going to believe. That's honesty. Thomas is maybe not as blunt as Nathaniel, but Thomas says what other people are thinking and they're afraid to say. Thomas is the type of guy that you want at a board meeting, where you stop and you say, what do you think? And then you hear crickets chirping. Thomas is the guy that says, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I think. There's an example here with Thomas where um, Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And he goes, at Jerusalem, I'm going to go and die on the cross. And the Bible says the disciples didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle this. Thomas is the only one that said something. Thomas said, well, if he's going to go die, we're all going to go die. That's Thomas. I'll say something. Thomases are good ones to have. If you need an opinion, you go ask Thomas. He'll tell you what he thinks. Now, he's not maybe blunt like Nathaniel, but he's straightforward. I like a personality like that. What else do we have? Simon the Zealot. Now, he's also known as Simon the Canaanite. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, Canaan was on the wrong side of the tracks. The history behind Canaan is the northern tribes of Israel were defeated by Assyria in 722 B.C. And what happened was they became this mixed heritage group of people, half Jewish, half Assyrian. So the Jews that lived down south couldn't stand them. They weren't really a Jew. They were half Gentile, half Jew. And they were born on the wrong side of the tracks, and so therefore they were not accepted in the Jews. You know how many times in church we have a Simon, a Canaanite, born on the wrong side of the tracks in life? I'm telling you right now, I don't know what your background was like, but maybe you were born on the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe you come from the most screwed up family you can imagine, the most dysfunctional family you can imagine. Sometimes the Lord can use you more than you can ever imagine because you have a background. You have a history. You may try to hide that, but the Lord says, I know what you went through in your younger days, and I can use this in your older days to minister to people. We need Simon the Canaanites. We need those people. Now, he's also called Simon the Zealot. See, zealot is where we get our English word zealous. What happened was, these guys were rebels. They hated Rome being in charge of Israel. So these guys were in rebellion to Rome. This is the guy in the church today that is passionate and excited about 
something. And his passion and excitement is almost overwhelming. I envision back 2,000 years ago when the disciples were walking, all the disciples were like, don't make me walk beside Simon the Zealot. He's just going to keep talking to me about his newest exciting thing. Same thing happens in the church today. We have zealots that come in. They come in and they've just discovered something. It's the most amazing, exciting thing that you've ever heard in your life, and it's going to totally change your life, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. I remember one time talking to a zealot. They had this wonderful idea. They came to me. They shared it with me. Do you need to do this, Pastor? This is going to be amazing for the church. So I said, you know what? Sounds like a neat idea. Let's pray about it and see where the Lord leads. And I remember them stopping me saying, pray about it. I've already told you it's a great idea. What do you need to pray about? That's a zealot. They already have it all figured out. They have all the political things figured out. Don't worry about them. They got it all figured out. They have everything in life figured out. They have everything taken care of, and they know exactly what's right and what's wrong, and they will tell you why everything they think is right, and they're zealot, and they're excited about it. Now, if you can get a zealot, and you can direct that energy and excitement and attention to detail towards Christ, they're powerful. But what happens is they're also like a chipmunk on caffeine. They just jump and jump and jump and jump and jump, and you can't keep up with them. And I forget what we're excited about this week because last week you were excited about this and now you're excited about that and now the end of the world is coming here and now we're going to do this and I've lost track. Can't we just serve Jesus? Zealots are not bad. They just need to be directed towards Christ. What I normally do with zealots, they come, I listen for a few minutes, then I say I try to bring the conversation back to Jesus. I try to bring the conversation back to the foundation of Scripture in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with being excited about things, but make sure you're directing your passion, your energy, and your attention towards eternal things. So we have Simon the Canaanite zealot. Matthew, verse 15, Matthew the tax collector, we talked about him just a couple weeks ago. White collar guy, tax collector, came to know Jesus, and what did he do? He wanted to bring all his friends to Christ. He hosted this big party to invite all of his friends towards the Lord. We need those type of people. I don't think Matthew was a guy that was really talkative. I don't think Matthew was a guy that uh, was really one of those things that would bring a lot of attention to himself. He was calm, cool, collect, and stable. We need those type of people. What about the last guy there, verse 16? Judas Iscariot. We have Judas Iscariots in churches all the time. They walk with the church. They talk with the church. They're not with Christ. You know, John said in the book of John, they started out with us, but they did not finish with us because they were not of us. See, we hate to admit this. We joke about the Peters in churches and the James and the Johns and the Zealots. There's a lot of Judases in church. There really are. And if you see somebody in church that's a Judas, I hope your heart breaks for them. And I hope you say, I want to pray for that person. I want to encourage that person. I want to be a light and a witness to that person because I don't think their faith is as strong as their faith is. A lot of times I run into a Judas, and I'm not being judgmental. They're not as strong in Christ as they think they are. See, Judas thought he had it all figured out. In fact, the Bible says the disciples thought he had it all figured out. They didn't. He did not know Christ personally. Sad to say, there's Judases in the church today. So who do we got left? We talked about Peter. We talked about Andrew. We talked about John and James the fishermen. We talked about Philip and Bartholomew and Nathaniel. Excuse me. We talked about Matthew. We've talked about Thomas. And then we've got to talk about Simon and Judas. We're left with two guys here. James the Lesser, as some translations call him, and also Judas the son of James. And Judas is also known as Thaddeus or Labius. Two guys. And as far as we know, those two guys never have a single recorded word in the Bible of anything they ever said. Nothing. What do we know about them? You about know about as much as I do. I don't know much about them. But we know one thing here. Judas's name here, Thaddeus, means large heart. I like that. There's a lot of people in the church. They're not Peter. They keep their mouth shut. They're not James and John. They're not getting into trouble. They're not the zealots. They're not talking to everybody. They're not Judas. They're not falling away. 
They're Thaddeus and James the Lesser. They just don't say a whole lot. And those are the ones that there really is a lot of neat, rich potential in Christ in them. The problem is we never know about it because they're quiet. There's nothing wrong with being quiet. We've already established that we're pretty sure Matthew was a pretty quiet guy. I tell you, if you see a Thaddeus or if you see a James the Lesser in church, go over and talk to them. Strike up a conversation. Say hi to them. Introduce yourself. Hey, how can I pray for you? Obviously, the Lord wanted personalities like that. Thaddeus, large heart. He was the type of guy I envisioned our second-born Judah is that way, large heart. Just, just wants to serve people, make people happy. Judah had his birthday here this last week, so he got some money from his, for his birthday. And so we went, uh, and he got this little coupon in the mail. Toys R Us was a gimmick. Hey, come to our store, buy something, you get so much money off. So we take him to Toys R Us to get the free thing. He's in Toys R Us. He's got so much money to spend for his birthday, and he's shopping with all the boys. Well, Kenan saw something that he really liked. So Judah wanted to buy that for Kenan. And Judah was having a hard time deciding what he wanted to get. I could tell he was bothered. Judah's not really an emotional guy. I take him over to one of the other aisles, and I say, Judah, what's going on? He just breaks down in tears. And I say, what's wrong? He goes, I really want to buy that for Kenan. And I said, but you also want to buy something for yourself, don't you? He goes, yeah. But his heart broke because Kenan wanted that so bad. So really what it comes down to, the five kids I have, four are horrible sinners. I got one good one. <laughs> one good one. Judah is the large heart. And you know, and, and, and that's where there is. There's, there's Thaddeuses in the body of Christ here, and they have a really large heart. You just don't know it. There's James the Lessers out there. Look at his name, James the Lesser. Some translations call him James the Younger. Didn't say a whole lot that we know of. But those people in the body of Christ, they may not say a whole lot. They're not going to be the ones to get up and share testimony. They're not going to be the ones that say, I'll teach. They're not going to be the ones to lead worship. They're not, but they have a spot where they can serve the Lord faithfully and fervently. And sometimes it's our responsibility as a body of Christ to go help them. Listen, if you're a Peter and you can't keep your mouth shut, go find a Thaddeus or James the Lesser and talk to him, okay? If you have that outgoing person, if you're a zealot, if you're Simon, and you, just, you don't mind talking to anybody about anything, go find those guys and talk to them. Those are the people that need that interaction. They need that intention. Once again, Look at these 12 men that God chose. Look at these 12 men that were chosen after a diligent night of prayer. This was not a good selection of people, but it was a selection that God wanted. Sometimes when we look across the body of Christ, we're not a good selection of people, but we're the selection that God chose. God specifically chose these personalities. And it'd be really neat to say that after Christ ascended and they were filled with the Spirit and the day of Pentecost happened, it'd be really neat to say that they never had any problems. We know from studying out the rest of the New Testament, Paul would get into arguments with Peter. Paul would get into arguments with Barnabas and John Mark. There were still problems. So in the church today, you're going to have Peters that really probably need to be a little more quiet, and they're going to frustrate you. But God says they serve a purpose. You're going to have James and Johns that really when they get together, sometimes bad things happen. But God loves James and John. You're going to have Thomas who's straightforward. You're going to have Nathaniel that's blunt. You're going to have uh, Judas Iscariot that's going to fall away. You're also going to have Simon the Zealot that's always excited about something. But all these personalities are important, just like James the Younger, just like Thaddeus, just like good, solid Matthew, just like Andrew that brings people to the Lord. All these personalities are important, and when all these personalities come together, you have an amazing body Christ. So I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to get annoyed, you're going to get frustrated with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you really stop and look, I bet they fit one of these personalities that Jesus 
chose after a night of prayer. And the truth of the matter is, you're one of these personalities to somebody else. And God loves you and we love you too. This body of Christ that comes together, it's an absolutely amazing thing when it all works and clicks. But let's not let division get the best of us. Let's not discouragement get the best of us. Let's all serve the Lord together and deeper in our walks and relationships with Christ. Let's look at the eternal perspective of making sure souls getting saved are all that matter. Callie and Mar, if you guys can come forward here for the final song. As they're coming up, let's pray here real quick. Lord, help us to be men and women of prayer like you were, diligent to pray, 